Hello, hello. How are you doing? I am starting to feel pretty excited because myself and Em, along with our bestie, head off to Brazil, Sao Paulo to be exact, in a few days time for another one of our besties weddings. So yes, I am feeling super excited. Next week's episode is already recorded. In fact, that leads me very nicely into what I am talking about today, which is a two-parter. So... Although some would say that tis the season to be jolly, for others, they might say tis the season to be anxious. Now, the reason for that is because I always look at this period of time as, yes, there can be a lot of fun and festivity and reminiscing, but a lot of people do reflect. A lot of people, um, I feel... I think stress about upcoming arrangements and spending time with people who, yes, they may love, but maybe they don't necessarily get along with that well. But also I think that a lot of what is behind our anxiety is comparison. So for instance, if we stress about spending time with our family and we give ourselves a hard time about them, or we stress about the fact that we don't enjoy this time as much or we stress about the fact that we're not in a relationship or we stress about the fact that we are in a relationship but we're not in the one that we want to be in or we stress about the fact that we are not happy in our career in some way or just basically some aspect of our life it is because we are comparing and that is the subject of the next couple of episodes and to kick this off I want to confess something. I quietly compared myself to somebody quite a bit over the summer. And the quick version of this is that remember how, you'll remember if you are a fairly long time listener, how I went through that whole book proposal saga and it all kind of came to a head at the beginning of February. I talked about it in the episode about I failed and I'm okay. So after all that, you know, it was basically sort of life goes on type of thing. And of course, there's a whole grieving process with that. But it got to a few months down the line and I was feeling in a pretty good place and doing my own thing. I had several friends who in the space of about a week had books coming out. Some had had books out before and I was really happy for them. I shared it around. There was a little part of me, I wouldn't say it felt away, but it was like, oh, this could have been you. And then it was like, ah, whatever, I'm moving on. But then in the midst of all of this, somebody else I know had their book come out. And this person is somebody that I was compared to a lot as a child. And I would go so far as to say that we, as a result I think of that comparison and I think maybe in just the way that we were sort of socialized as being you know two black girls in a place that there wasn't like that many black girls we competed against each other unnecessarily instead of finding friendship and so when her book came out unlike with all of the others I went into some sort of free fall so what I mean by that is that I saw it And then the next half hour went down in some sort of Google black hole, you know, 
you look up one thing, then you Google something else, then you click on that, which leads to something else, which leads to something else, which leads to something else. And after about half an hour, I felt horrendous. I actually paused and noticed that I felt so anxious. My chest was hurting, my stomach was swirling, my head felt so buzzy. I actually felt like I was on the verge of an anxiety attack. My body had gone into stress. And immediately I closed out of what I was looking at. I made myself a cup of tea, started to make my lunch. And M, M my husband, he came back and I told him what I'd been up to. It's best not to, to keep these things to yourself if you can. And uh, <laughs> so I told him and he burst out laughing and it wasn't in a cruel way, I should stress. But he was like, are you for real? Like he was serious. And he knows that, you know, obviously everything that, you know, had been going on, you know, with the whole book thing. And he's like, how many books? actually have you sold and why would you even feel the need to compare yourself to her we got into a chat about it and you know felt a lot better and I sort of decided I'm not going to look at anything else and then as if the universe is trying to test me out or something um I think I must have gone on on to Facebook because I'd had some notification in my email about some message somebody had sent me and so when I went on the the first thing in the feed no joke is an article that my friend is sharing about this person and I was like you got to be kidding me and then I just clicked past it and, and went and got the message and moved on now you might go why are you confessing that well it actually wasn't the end of that and when I say confessing you know it's just a, a phrase but this person the, the whole her having a book come out ended up popping into my head like on and off all summer at one point it was driving me batty but I also as is the way with me saw it as an opportunity to explore it some more and when I found that I was telling people about it typically I told some friends but actually when I was talking to members or clients who were going through similar troubles I told them about it and we would have a good giggle about it about how you know, we often feel like this terrible person that we have these thoughts and we feel like, oh my gosh, I'm crazy. And then we talk out loud about it and we realize, oh, actually, I'm just a, a human. And so actually, that's a really, really big part of why I want to dive into this topic today. So in this episode, the focus is going to be on, well, what is comparison? Who do we compare to? And why do we do that? Or what are the things that we sometimes compare about? I'm going to talk about how sometimes behind our comparison, in fact, often are feelings of shame and how there is the sense of like, well, there's just no point in bothering because of whatever we think we're learning from our comparison. I'm going to talk about the connection between comparison and perfectionism and why comparison is actually a habit that we have got used to doing in response to certain types of situations and certain types of feelings and thought. And then in the follow-up episode, which will be episode 163, it will be all about, okay, so how do we break out of the cycle of comparison? Not that we're going to erase comparison from our life altogether, but how can we bring it right down? And also, how can we use comparison as something to learn from? Okay, let's do this. Comparison, so the, the act and habits of estimating ourselves against others and finding us to be inferior or superior when done on a uh, habitual basis 
it's a form of self-harm. We're carving at us with comparison. The comparison actually represents not only judgments that we are making about ourselves, but also judgments that we're making about others. Because in order to estimate us against somebody else, we, we take what we decide is the truth, the facts, and we make a judgment about what it means about us, but also what it means about them. So we might actually decide that they're a person who has a pristine life and no problems and disregard their struggles or disregard their experiences or have no compassion for them. We feel bad when we engage in comparison. And it's actually not just because we are criticizing us, you know, judging us, shaming us, estimating us against others, but it's actually because we are feeling bad about the fact that we compare in the first place as if, you know, we're not a model human. It's like, oh my gosh, I have this dirty little secret that I compare myself to this person from high school or this person on Facebook or Instagram or whatever. Let's be clear, all humans compare, all humans. But there is such a thing as healthy comparison. So that might be where, yeah, we do, instead of estimating ourselves against others, we maybe look at what somebody else is doing and compare and contrast it with our own uh, life. And we're like, oh, well, there's something I can learn far more. We might feel inspired by that. But also where we do it and actually acknowledge and recognize who we are or what we've done or what we can be. And so we internalize that. That's where it's a positive. Healthy comparison doesn't detract from us. If anything, it's going to add to us and may even motivate us. So the type of comparison where we feel really rubbish about ourselves is the type that basically isn't healthy for us. And you know, look, we can all do something occasionally, but when we start doing it a lot or all the time, it becomes a way of being. It becomes something that starts to affect our state of mind. And it is going to take a toll on our self-esteem because the thoughts that we feed us and the way that we treat us matters. Who do we compare ourselves to? Well, you know, we could say anyone and everyone, but you know, when we really take a close look, we compare ourselves to people in the public eye. You know, we compare ourselves to the unattainable images that are created by not just the media, but sometimes the people who are in the public eye. This can be actors, models, reality stars, politicians even, but also uh, we are in the age of the influencer. So, you know, now somebody can have a level of notoriety without necessarily, for instance, having a talent per se or, or doing anything in particular, but just selling uh, images of their lifestyle. And when that person does it and it and it feels authentic and and supportive and nurturing and the, and it's not like be me, be me and you will be a success, buy this thing and you will be a success, that's all right. But when people are selling false images or where we end up sort of beating ourselves up and going, oh my gosh, I look at that person, they're just so much better than us and I'm a failure that's where it becomes pretty unpleasant. You know, you see some people, uh, you know, on Instagram and for instance, and about a week after they've had a baby, they're, at, you know, out prancing about high energy, you know, giving off this impression that they basically were never pregnant in the first place because their body looks like, like the bomb. And we're looking at it going, 
uh, I've like been trying to tone up or look that way or lose weight for however long. And one week after carrying a baby, they look like that. Well, I might as well just give up now. And we look at pictures, you know, we're heavily makeup, but maybe, maybe they're telling us it's a natural look. Or we look at somebody's hair and we're like, oh my gosh, like I have some serious hair envy. And actually, I've got a really good example of this. Um, I think it was a couple of years back, but I kept seeing this person on Instagram and her afro was amazing. Now, when I uh, have my hair in the afro look, it didn't look anything like that. So you can imagine my shock, my, my confusion when I discovered that when I'd sort of been going, oh, Jeez, my hair doesn't look like that. And yeah, maybe having a little bit of hair envy. Turns out it was a wig, right? It was a wig or a weave or something. I don't know. Anyway, the point is, is there I was going, oh, God, my hair's not up to, is not up to standard. Maybe not saying that literally. But all along, I was comparing it to, well, something that wasn't actual real hair. And that doesn't take away from how lovely it was. But I was expecting my hair to live up to what was an unrealistic image or certainly an unreal image in that instance. Sometimes we compare ourselves to people who we literally cannot be. So we might compare ourselves to somebody who was taller or shorter, but we can't actually change our height. We might compare ourselves to somebody who was younger or older, or we might compare ourselves to somebody who was of a different race or a different color. Uh, we can't change that. We sometimes compare us to our younger self from a romanticized version of our past where we imagine that if only we'd stayed just like that, then everything would be so much better now and everything would have gone to plan. Or we do it where we erase everything that's happened, including the good, and decide that the past was so much better. And it's like, well, my last chance saloon is gone. Everything good that's going to happen has already happened. And so everything about our life, we basically deem as being rubbish, which also means that we kind of feel doomed about the future as well. We might compare ourselves to bring it. This is the younger thing again, but compare ourselves to people who are younger and seemingly more successful than we are right now or younger and more successful than we were at that age, whatever more successful means to us. So for instance, you might be the same age as me, 42. So you might be like, oh, well, I wasn't leading a charm life at age 30. So if I wasn't doing that then, well, there's just no hope for me now because I, you know, I'm older than them. I've missed the boat. Uh, I, I do think that sometimes there, there is this whole sort of, oh, well, if you're over a certain age, then you're over the hill or good opportunities only happen to people who are in their 20s or 30s. And so if you are beyond a certain point, it's like, well, you've missed the boat. When actually there are people who are in their 40s, 50s and beyond who undoubtedly have, you know, had their so-called big moment, their big break in that time. I've, I do think there is a conditioning in society that says you have to have your big break out of school or out of university. You've got to do everything by the time you're 30 or you've got to do it all before you're 35 because everything is going to dry up after that. Sometimes we compare us to our peers, especially anyone who we feel that we are similar to but that we're not keeping up 
or people who, whether we're conscious of it or not, we do actually feel somewhat superior to. In both of these instances, we feel as if we should have the thing that that person has, or we should have had it before they did, or even that they don't deserve it because, you know, we're better. And of course, thinking about it in that way, even if it's not in those words, only contributes to us feeling bad as well, because a part of us won't like the fact that that's the way that we're looking at things. And this taps into envy, something I've talked about in the podcast a few times. When we experience envy, it is because on some level, we recognize similarities between us and the other person, or we think that we are better. And what we don't understand then is, well, hold on a second, how are they similar to me? And they have the thing that I want, but I don't have it yet. Or hold on a second, I've done way more than them, or I'm better looking, or, you know, I have a, uh, I have a better education, or I have a better whatever, how the hell have they got the thing that I want? And so it kind of flies in the face of everything that we believe about life and how our timeline is supposed to work. And I think particularly with people who are similar to us, part of why the comparison feels so crappy is because if we've been saying to us, well, I can't do this and I can't do that. The chips are down. My background precludes me from this or looking a certain way means that I can't have this or whatever. And then somebody else who we basically regard as being similar to us goes and does that thing. Well, that blows a big asshole in our argument. Sometimes we compare ourselves to people that we don't like. I know that doesn't make sense, but we do. So like, we know that we don't like them and we know that we don't even want to be like them. But then on some level, we seem to think that we should be like them, maybe because we think that they are more successful at something. And I think a very classic example of this is where we have somebody who is wearing down our last nerve with their passive aggressive or aggressive behavior or both. And then we mistake all of their behavior or some of it as being assertive. And then we compare ourselves to them. And, and because maybe we know that we can be a pleaser, uh, you know, in certain instances, or maybe we accuse us of being a doormat, we're like, oh, well, I can't stand this person, but I should want to be like them because I am like this. And so I'm pathetic and they're better than me. And of course, that doesn't actually do us any good. Sometimes we compare us to people who we do like and who appear to exhibit qualities that we think we don't have or that we can't have. And we might imagine that their life is so much better than ours, that their life is easier, that they don't have any struggles. We might actually think that who we are is wrong just because we think that who they are is air quotes right. And a really good example of this is with introversion and extroversion. So we might be like, why do I get so worn out by big group events? Why don't I want to be out all the time? Depending on messages that we've picked up about what an introvert or an extrovert is, we might think that our introverted nature or what we assume is our introverted nature is a bad thing. But introversion and extroversion are about where we lose and gain energy. And I think it's Susan Cain, I think, that first talked about that. So it's not about are you shy or you don't like people or you're like really loud? Because I know plenty of introverts who can actually be loud in certain circumstances. But it's also recognizing that we're not purely introverted or purely extroverted. I think it's Carl Jung that says that uh, 
if we were uh, 100% extrovert or 100% introvert, we would be insane. Like I am somebody who identifies with both and I would say I more strongly identify with introvert, even though people are very, very quick to assume that I am an extrovert when I'm not. There are certain things that I enjoy doing and, and I can do that. But if I, for instance, do something that involves a lot of people, I will gradually start to feel drained. And it's not because I hate people or whatever. It's just I gradually start to lose energy if I don't start to have a bit of quiet time to myself. And so I know that I need to sort of reboot and recharge. Some people lose energy if they don't spend time around people. It doesn't mean they have to be around people all the time, but if they have too much solo time and too much is individual to each person, but if they have too much solo time, they start to feel drained. They start to lose energy. Whereas when they do sort of people-centric things, they feel quite energized by that. But somebody who, for instance, is an introvert can also feel energized in situations where there are people. They just have a limit just like the person who is the extrovert has a limit about how much solo time they feel comfortable with. Sometimes we compare ourselves to people from our past who we were routinely compared to or that we competed with. And so that's who I was basically comparing myself to on some level when I had my miniature meltdown. And sometimes it's not necessarily that we're comparing to that specific person. So that could be a sibling, a friend, a cousin, whoever. It can also be people who are similar. So I see this a lot with struggles in the workplace. And if we actually take a look at what it is that gets on our last freaking nerve about somebody at work or why we feel so inadequate around them, and then we go to ourselves, hmm, who does this person remind us of? That is the answer to why we are comparing, because they remind us of somebody else from our past. If we were routinely compared to our sister and, you know, they were always regarded as the pretty one and they got all the grades and everything. And then maybe we see somebody else coming into work, swishing their ponytail, who always seems to get what they want. We might regress and shrink into ourselves and be like, oh, my gosh, I'm that kid all over again. We might find ourselves behaving as if we are a child. Sometimes we quite simply compare ourselves to people whose lives we want. And I think that while we can do this with, you know, the reality stars or the influencers or whoever, we can just as easily do this, for instance, with a friend or family member. And, and we're probably inclined to do this when we're feeling somewhat unhappy within ourselves or with an aspect of our life. And what we will then do is romanticize, for instance, the friend whose family, you know, we admire and we're like, oh, well, why isn't my family like that? And their family just seems so lovely in comparison to mine. And then we imagine their life is picture perfect. And as lovely as they might be, they also have their own struggles. And sometimes we compare ourselves to people with more privilege. And I know that that is a hot button topic that's quite divisive. But there is such a thing as people being born with privilege and people having privilege. And when we acknowledge this and we also acknowledge the fact that some people don't have that. So some of the people who don't have that privilege may feel at times when they compare themselves as if they are way down at the back of the track at a very, very different starting block to the people who have privilege. So there's another example of how we can compare ourselves in what might be a very painful way that we don't feel as if we can change. Most of what we're comparing ourselves to and about is based on unrealistic standards that we can't possibly live up to. 
And actually, often we secretly don't want to. I think something that isn't often acknowledged about comparison is that it's something we've consciously or unconsciously learned to do. We've learned to do it in response to certain feelings, in response to certain thoughts and in certain types of situations and around certain types of people. When we look back on our beginnings, our childhood, if we were consistently nurtured, appreciated, supported, we may have been given high but achievable expectations. We may have been given a realistic impression of work ethic. We might have been told that actually we can achieve anything that we want to, or we may have been given the impression that despite any limitations that we might have, they didn't actually have to limit us, like we were allowed to dream big. But then maybe we grew up in a different type of environment where we didn't feel emotionally safe. We didn't feel secure. You know, we didn't feel safely attached within our environment. And so maybe we were given high but unachievable expectations, possibly as well being told that those high but unachievable expectations were actually totally realistic and normal and low. Or maybe we were told not to bother. We were sort of written off. Maybe we were told that no matter what we did, we weren't to forget where we came from and in actual fact that we would never be able to shake off where we came from. We were told that it was going to be harder for us because of whatever they decided our limitation was. So all of these can contribute to why we engage in comparison. And it's important to note that even if we feel that we came from a loving, nurturing, supportive background and you know we did we can still have conflicting painful messages that lead to comparison we can come from a loving home and still be a perfectionist we can come from a loving home and have learned certain things that we then interpreted as oh I must be pleasing all the time and I have to try extra hard we might admire somebody who we love dearly And because we're always trying to live up to what we think are their standards, we can't figure out what our own life is for ourselves. So it is important for us to acknowledge the journey that we've traveled. And this is something I reiterate again and again on this show, because I think it's all too easy for us to kind of carry on as if we just woke up in 2019 or whatever year you're in when you're listening to this and that we know we should just know everything but we've traveled a journey to this point that shapes the way in which we think about and feel about and do certain things the thing about comparison is that it does trigger shame it's the fear and belief that we are not enough that we are a bad person that we've done a bad thing and that as a result of all of that, that we are not worthy of intimacy, that we're not worthy of growth, that we're not worthy of healing, that we're not worthy of connection. And this shame cycle, as I said at the start of this, isn't just about the shame about whatever it is that we compare us about. It's also about the fact that we are comparing us and who we're comparing us to. So it's like, oh my gosh, I'm a bad person because I am comparing myself. And you know what we do when comparison has taken us to such a point that on some level because you know a lot of the time we may not be fully conscious of it you know we've decided that you know we're not worthy of intimacy we're not worthy of a loving relationship we're not worthy of going after the things that we want we're not worthy of connection 
is that we actually decide, well, what's the point? We think to ourselves, well, I'm never going to be good enough anyway, so I might as well stop trying. And that leads to us withdrawing. We might disengage, you know, with certain aspects of our life. We might hang about on the sidelines, so feel as if, well, I can't really participate because, you know, I'm a fringe player, I'm an outsider, I'm never going to be good enough to be in the gang. We might limit ourselves to being emotionally unavailable in unavailable relationships with other emotionally unavailable people. Because if we don't feel as if we're worthy enough of intimacy and connection and, you know, growth, allowing us to be more than we've been in the past, allowing us to transcend whatever mistakes and so-called failures that we've been through, allowing us to transcend our background and our experiences. If we've decided that, then we're not going to feel as if we can be in something better because we're, we will be afraid of one, revealing ourselves and two, allowing somebody to get close enough to us that they might turn around and be like, oh, I'm going to leave or, oh, you're not good enough. It's also that, yeah, if we allow us to go after something or we allow somebody to get close enough to us, that it's going to hurt a lot more if it doesn't work out. It, it's like, do you know what? I'm just going to give up now. And, you know, something I talked about on the blog several years back now about the long shot mentality. So it's like where we appear to be going after certain things. We appear to be going through the motions of, of change, of, of pursuing certain goals but quietly behind the scenes, we have already accepted failure. We've already decided, well, it's never going to happen. I'm never going to be good enough anyway. What's the point, right? I can't change the fact that I grew up in that background or I am this race or that I had those experiences or that I look this particular way or whatever it is or I made that mistake so I'm toast, but I'm going to make outer noises that let me appear to be going after these things while quietly having accepted failure. And then that kind of gives us permission to just stick to what we know, only that sticking to what we know continues to hurt us. If we've gone to the trouble of deciding that we are not good enough, that we might never be able to be good enough, that, you know, there's no point in trying, even though we might admit this out loud. This does represent a fixed mindset. And this might be something you've heard about if you hear about growth mindset. And it's a term coined by, uh, I think, psychologist Carol Dweck. And basically, somebody with a growth mindset believes that their basic abilities and qualities like talent and intelligence and just who they are as a person can be strengthened and developed through dedication, hard work. Whereas somebody with a fixed mindset is like, mm, yeah, that's already fixed. It can't be changed. Now, I think that what's worth acknowledging here is that, yes, we can talk about growth mindset in the terms of dedication and hard work, but I also think that there is sometimes an overemphasis on effort. And what I mean by this, and I talked about this in the episode about trying, you know, when we bust a gut trying and efforting. 
So it's where we just keep going at it hard with effort, believing that the more effort we put into things is the more that we can change outcomes, is the more entitled we are to get what we want. And life has shown us time and time again that actually we don't always get what we want, even when we've been and done enough. That's not the way that life works. And so I think something that's worth acknowledging about this is that when we have a fixed mindset, it isn't actually always just about, you know, the whole hard work, dedication, whether you can develop your intelligence or your talents, you know, and other qualities. It's actually about do we allow ourselves to move on from who we were before? Do we allow us to evolve? When we do, when we allow us to be more than who we've been, when we allow us to move on from the past, when we allow us to recover from a mistake or a failure, that is a growth mindset because we believe that who we are hasn't already been decided and determined. When we have a fixed mindset, even if we don't admit it out loud, a part of us is like, it doesn't really matter what I do. I'm never going to be enough because it was already decided. I'm never going to be enough because my mom and dad didn't do such and such or because I didn't go to the right school or because that terrible thing happened with that particular person or because I went through that trauma. We've already decided and that's when we get fixed because we decide and we keep redeciding and we don't realize that we shape what we think and do around what we've already decided. Our efforts go towards basically documenting proof that what we think is true and supporting that rather than looking at how to develop and change it. And, you know, this is the perfectionist in us. And some of you will be listening and go, whoa, whoa, hold on a second, Natalie. I'm no perfectionist. I give myself such a hard time. I've been telling myself I'm not good enough for the longest time. Yeah, that's just a variation of perfectionism because when we are perfectionist, we hold ourselves to unrealistic standards by attempting to be perfect or to look perfect to others. But sometimes our perfectionism shows up in beating ourselves up for being not good enough. And how we know that we're doing this is one, because we think that we're not good enough in the first place, because obviously we're thinking, well, we should be better than what we are. Again, suggesting that, you know, we, we're not allowed to evolve and grow from there. But also because when you ask a perfectionist to go, right, this is what not good enough is. This is what good enough is. And this is what perfection is. They have plenty to put in not good enough. They have plenty to put in perfectionism, but they haven't got anything to put into good enough because the good enough that they are striving to be is actually trying to be perfect. And it is important to acknowledge the fixed mindset of believing that we're not good enough, feeling that, oh, this has happened because I'm not enough. If we didn't have that fixed mindset, when things don't go our way, we wouldn't automatically and persistently keep blaming it on our worthiness. Like, oh, it's because I didn't do enough. It's because I'm not enough. I wasn't worthy enough to receive this. We wouldn't assume and decide that something is fundamentally wrong with us that we've actually repeatedly identified with in the past. Like it wouldn't be a thing. It wouldn't be something that keeps kind of coming back up in our life. And, you know, 
<laughs> I think if we were more honest about what's behind some of our attitude towards learning and, you know, pushing ourselves and, and, you know, making an effort, while some of that is undoubtedly coming from a good place, some of what we're doing is actually about covering up feelings of inadequacy that, of course, result from us comparing. Because in order for us to feel inadequate, we have to have compared to something else that we deem better. Now, here's what else that something else might be. So I gave some examples earlier of who we compare to and what we compare about, which can be literally anything. But I actually think that behind a lot of that is comparing us to what we think is supposed to be a better version of us, like the idealized version of us. And that might be one that we've just whipped up in our mind, like if only I was this and I would have that, if only I was this and I would be that. But it might also be messages that were directly or indirectly communicated, you know, for instance, from our parents and caregivers, from you know, key people in our life that we internalized as, oh, that is who I'm supposed to be, not this, that. And so we don't realize where we are comparing us to somebody that doesn't exist, somebody that doesn't actually doesn't recognize who we are. Because you know what? We all have things about us that we're like, mm, yeah, I could probably do with changing that. We might even have some things that we don't like. However, self-esteem is about not just recognizing our flaws, some of which incidentally we do exaggerate, but it's actually also recognizing our strengths. It's recognizing what is good and true and uh, about us. It's loving us anyway, in spite of the fact that we have flaws. Because at the end of the day, disliking us for being flawed is like disliking us for the same thing that all the other seven billion or so people on the planet are imperfect. They are flawed. So there isn't any point in going, oh, I'm so flawed, I'm so flawed, because we're just saying something that is true for every single person on the planet. Acknowledging that we are comparing us to an idealized version of us that maybe represents a lot of pain for us or our desires or dreams can actually help us to understand what is driving some of our comparison and allow us to cut us some slack. Again, it's acknowledging the journey that we've traveled. Now, you might be listening to this and going, Nat, what about if what I'm expecting of myself, what I'm comparing myself to is realistic? It's not an unrealistic standard. Okay, but the expectation for you to be done already might be. Yes, you might compare you to somebody else. Be like, oh, well, they managed to work X amount of hours a week and their house looks spick and span. Everything has been decluttered. You know, they have a picture perfect life. And 
so you might look at that and go, well, it is possible for somebody to have that job, you know, work those hours and and have a really, really clean and decluttered home. So it's not an unrealistic standard because somebody else is achieving it. But we don't know how they're going about doing that because sometimes when we're spinning you know, uh, one set of plates, another set of plates is falling down. I think it's uh, Shonda Rhimes that says that when you see her on set and you're patting on her back and going, oh, how does she do it? Look at her. You know, she's running this what, scandal, Grey's Anatomy, how to get away with murder, all these various different shows. And she's on set and she's an amazing mother. She says in order to be on set, she's had to drop the ball at home somewhere. And then when you see her at school and she's turning up for the functions, uh, she's had to drop the ball somewhere with work. So all we're seeing is what we think we're seeing. And, and sometimes all we're seeing is what we want to see. And so we might be holding us to an unrealistic standard in expecting everything to be all at once. Yes, we can have this super tidy home and juggle the job and whichever else, but we might not actually have that much time to ourselves. Or there might be very specific reasons why we haven't quite got on top of that yet. And expecting that it should be done yesterday is the perfectionist in us that wants it done now, that wants it done yesterday. And that yes, sometimes it's like, well, if I can't do it perfectly, then I'm not going to bother to do it at all. I might as well just give up. And you might go, okay, I get the whole thing about unrealistic standards, but what about the fact that appearance or status, you know, background, money opens doors for people? Yeah, it does. But those things only take you so far. There are plenty of examples of people who have all of those things and they are miserable. So assuming that because you have those things that you'd never have any problems is a problem in and of itself. And we might say to ourselves, I want to be somebody who doesn't compare, which in and of itself is a bit unrealistic because even when we aren't aware of it, we compare. So a very classic example of this is social media. When we're scrolling through our feed, if we are not mindful of not just what we're consuming, but how we're consuming it, we might not realize how we're engaging in unconscious comparison. And we know that we are doing that if even if we are unaware of the underlying thoughts, we feel a certain way. We feel less than what we did before we engaged in that activity. So for instance, we go on Instagram and we're scrolling through, and even though we don't feel as if we've sort of consciously registered that we are comparing, we don't feel as if we've kind of thought anything in particular about someone, as we've looked at these pictures of people's lives, maybe read certain things, we feel deflated, we feel depressed. Maybe we don't even realize that afterwards, but then when we snap at somebody later on in the day, or we feel kind of like lethargic and low mojo, we don't realize that part of that is coming from when we were scrolling through and looking at people and basically estimating ourselves as being inferior. We want to be somebody who doesn't compare, but sometimes we will. But it is about catching it when we do, recognizing where it's coming from and making sure that it doesn't overtake us. And this is where it's important to acknowledge also that comparison particularly when it's about the same thing or person coming up again and again, that's a habit. 
and I've referenced this a number of times on the podcast, but if we give ourselves a hard time about something more than a few times, and then we just keep going with it, that becomes a habit. The example I always give is about post-breakup. So it's too much to expect that we spend weeks, maybe months, maybe more than a year beating ourselves up about the fact that the relationship didn't work out. It's too much to expect that after stalking the person on Instagram and Facebook and Pinterest and Twitter and wherever else and checking to see if they're online on WhatsApp or checking to see if your message delivered on iMessage or whatever, it's too much to expect that after doing that, you know, after crying into your tea and bickies at night and torturing yourself, to think that one day when you've decided that you don't want to think about it anymore, you're going to be like, boop, I'm done. No. It's a habit because now obsessing, ruminating about your ex is associated with certain aspects of your day. So if you got in the shower or when you were going out for a run and when you're headed for the tube or whatever, thoughts of this person spring to mind. Maybe you see something that reminds you of them. Oh, and you know, he or she did whatever. Uh, that's a habit. And now there's an association there. So now without even thinking about them, we get into the shower and the track comes on of, oh, I'm no good and I'm going to end up with nobody. And that's not because that's actually what we think. It's just the habit. We're not just playing out the thoughts. And then what happens is the thoughts show up, the feelings show up because as well, we step into our bathroom and because now at that time of day and going into the shower, we've done that a number of times. The, the, those feelings that we have then have been recorded. So they show up again in the same situation and those feelings then kind of trigger off some thoughts and, and the thoughts trigger off some more feelings and round and round and round you go. And that's a habit. Not, it's not that we in these situations actually feel that way. It is a habit that we then pile on because we go, oh, well, I've had the thought, I've had the feeling, so I must care an awful lot. Actually, we probably don't. Uh, I'm not saying we don't care at all, but we care a lot less than we actually think we do. We basically have kept rubbing our faces in something again and again, which means that we actually have to go out of our way to consciously arrest those thoughts, to disrupt them and be like, oh, yeah, <laughs> I've already done that one. I've got nothing new for me today. I haven't actually got a new thought about this. It's just the same thoughts coming back round and round again. And when we go out of our way to do this, it starts to interrupt the habit because it's like, oh, that's not how it's going down today. We might actually shake up our routine just so that we get out of that sort of thought and feeling process that we have about something. It's also vital to recognize that aside from rubbing our faces in it, that sometimes it's also a security blanket. It's a security blanket that protects us from having to be and do certain things. It's something that's familiar, even though it hurts. So what do we do next? Wow, that is the focus of the next part of this episode, which will be episode 163 that comes out next week. The aim of looking at ways to cut down on our comparison isn't about trying to make us into being a perfect human, because you know what? As a human, we will compare at times. But emotional health, in fact, emotional, mental, physical and spiritual health is about recognizing and understanding what we feel, what we think, what we do and why. Do we know it 100% of the time? No. But when it is a part of our life, when we use 
things that we feel uncomfortable with to learn more about us, to you know, evolve to, to, to make our life better in some way, to deepen our intimate relationships, to figure out what we need and want. These are all things that show us how much we are growing up, but also they increase our emotional intelligence, but they also make us more us and make it easier for us to not just enjoy life, but to bounce back in those times when it feels as if, well, yeah, life sucks and like it's getting on our nerves. So I hope that I have provided you with a lot of food for thought about comparison. As I said at the start of this, it is a funny old time of year. For years now, I've been saying that this, you know, these weeks are the 12 weeks of self-esteem torment as such, not for everyone, but for a lot of people. A lot of people struggle with loneliness at this time of year. A lot of people struggle with anxiety, Uh, worry, uh, family issues, friendship, work. And it's not because, you know, we're all, there's something wrong with all of us. I think that we have been conditioned to think that we're supposed to be like super duper happy just because of the time of the year that we're in. And so, of course, we compare ourselves when we're not. But it is also a time of year where we are prone to self-reflect and look back you know, on the previous months that we've been through. And because we are about to go into a new decade, I think that for a lot of people, there is a reflecting on the decade as a whole and like, oh, I started the decade as this person and now I'm here. And some of those things we'll be happy with and some of those things, yeah, maybe we're not so happy with. So there is, there is grief. And in grief, there is growth, something else I've talked about on the podcast. And so as much as we might feel that we've let go of a lot, and boy, do I feel like I've let go of a lot in this decade, I also know that there is a lot of gain in there because we don't lose with that gain. We just don't necessarily see that for what it is. And I think, you know, going back into the comparison, I think that comparing ourselves is something that obscures that it is something that really heightens and accentuates grief because we just keep focusing on everything that we're not or all the wrong things that we think that we are. So I look forward to you listening to episode 163 where you can find out how to shift this habit. And in the meantime, take care of you. If you would like to say hi, or you have a question, or you just want to let me know what you thought of an episode, the best place to get a hold of me is on Instagram, at natlu, that's N-A-T-L-U-E. There's also an email, podcast at baggagerecling.com, and I'm also on Twitter and Facebook. All of these are in the show notes at baggagerecling.co.uk forward slash 162. Don't forget that aside from the podcast that there is a blog, which is at baggagerecleaned.co.uk or .com. And there you can find loads and loads of posts about everything from emotional unavailability to people pleasing, to how to distinguish unhealthy relationships from from healthy ones, as well as how to live and love with more self-esteem. You can also find a full list of episodes at baggagerecleaned.co.uk forward slash podcast, where it also has information on how to subscribe. Please tell me that you're subscribed, as well as how to rate and review the show. Remember that every little bit helps in helping to spread the word about the show.